0: Welcome Exotica. to episode 20 of the Matt Larfit Show. As always, I am your host, Matt. In today's episode, I'm talking with Mel Brown and Ben Inglis about what it's like to lose weight after recovering from an eating disorder. And then on the flip side, we're also talking about what it's like to coach somebody that's been recovered from an eating disorder. Let's get right into it. All right, here we go. <laughs> Mel and Ben, thanks for meeting with me today. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, glad to be, glad be here. To be here.
0: So Mel, um, would you like to introduce yourself to, to the audience a little bit? I know you've been on my, uh, my podcast once before, so hopefully they're familiar with you. And I'll get your name right this time, by the way. <laughs> yeah,
2: sure. So I'm Mel. Uh, I am a licensed therapist, a counselor, whatever you want to call. And I specialize in working with people who are in recovery from an eating disorder or disordered eating and just mental health in general. But I am here today as a client as someone who has an eating disorder and is on a weight loss journey. So that is why I'm here.
0: Beautiful. Tricky situation, right?
2: Definitely very tricky. Very tricky. A lot of of stuff there.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that, Mel. And and Ben, I think most people are
0: probably familiar with you as well, but just for shits and gigs.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm Ben. I'm a full-time online fitness coach, and uh, I basically specialize in Trying to eliminate barriers to resistance training and getting everybody training in a way that they enjoy and lifting weights. I also offer some uh, nutrition, I guess, coaching. It's mm-hmm. I don't offer meal plans or anything like that, but I uh, work with people to make changes in their lifestyle and behavior to, I guess, achieve their fitness goals.
0: Beautiful two peas in a pod, you and I. <laughs> and yeah, you, we are. You are a, say, male's we coach, have right? a lot coach, right? Sorry. In
1: common. We have a lot in common and, uh, yeah, Mel has, we've been working together for about three months now.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so what, how's that relationship going? Um, I, I'll ask you, Mel, what caused you to, uh, reach out to Ben for help and what were you looking for?
2: So I was looking for someone specifically for the strength part, uh, as that is my main goal is I want to build muscle, um, more for than help? anything. Uh, And I really, I like evidence based because that's how I operate uh, in my clinical practice as well. We're going to go with the latest, you know, methodologies, things like that. So I just wanted somebody who um, knew what they were talking about. And I'm kind of a dick. Uh, in, in, personal life. So somebody that could handle that, um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, you know, therapist smells a totally different person than, uh, you know, cause we all have roles that we play right as professionally. But when this is coming to me in my recovery, uh, yeah. absolutely. I'm going to be very direct. Um, and this is my expectation. And I just laid that all out there with Ben with our discovery call. I was like, this is what I expect. Um, if you can't deliver, then you're not the right coach for me sort of thing. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, it's good that you know what you want um, and what you need more importantly, I think. Um, ben, how how was that? Um, how did that go for you? You know, talking to Mel for the first time and knowing that she had a, you know, she's in recovery or she's recovered from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, you need to tread that line very carefully.
1: Yeah, definitely. So meeting with her. Yeah, I do a, like an initial call before I start working with people and I could tell that, she, she knew what she, w- she wanted and she was very, I guess, emotionally mature. And mm-hmm. obviously, given that this is what she does for a living, or she works with other people who have eating disorders and helps them recover, I thought that it would be a really positive relationship and I could learn a lot from her. So just to reiterate, it is really important that you have that communication uh, between mm-hmm. the coach and client, like before you even start. And I think that can't be understated, like the role of communication and collaboration in to make sure that both people are going to be successful throughout the process. Yeah.
0: And that's Absolutely. important in general. Right. But I think even more so given the situation of with dealing with eating disorders and anything with mental health, really, I think it takes it mm-hmm. up at a whole nother level. Um, so is that something like then you is that something you ask ahead of time? You know, have you ever been affected by an eating disorder, or are you, you know, in recovery, or are you recovered, or anything like that? Or did she, or did I, typically come out and and tell you these things?
1: So that is in my uh, coaching application. Okay. So the process to work with me, you would have to fill out the co- coaching application. I'd send over some information, then we get on a call to meet face to face or virtually. And uh, that is one of the questions is basically, what is your current relationship with nutrition and food like? And are you currently in recovery from an eating disorder or are you like recovering from an eating disorder? And um, it is kind of it. There are a lot of blurred lines when it comes yeah. to this. But for the most part, I, I haven't had to really work on this. Like I haven't had anybody who's saying they're active like actively or very freshly in recovery. And unfortunately, I haven't had to navigate that situation yet. But that is something that I don't know if I have a good answer for whether or not I would like turn somebody away, because everybody's recovery process is going to look very different. And Mm -hmm. for some people, working with a coach could be a very positive experience, especially if you're collaborating with the rest of their care team. Uh, But for other people, it could be very detrimental. So that is something I screen for. And, uh, yeah. I kind of make that judgment call on a individual to individual basis.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you. It is, it is a judgment call at the end of the day because somebody could be not forthcoming with that information too. And then, and then we discover that information later on. Right. Um, so then that's a whole another can of worms. Cause then it's like, Oh shit, yeah. what, have, what have we gotten ourselves into, you know? So, because we want to do what's right by our client, you know, we don't want to give them, well, we want to give them what they want, but more importantly, we want to give them what they need. Right.
2: So like I, for coaches, can, do you guys have, I just have a question. Do you have mm-hmm. like little indicators that you are working with somebody that has disordered eating that maybe that individual isn't aware, but you're like, "Whoa, we've got a lot of food labeling going on here. We're eliminating entire food groups.
0: Yeah, for like, sure. What's that like?
2: um, yeah. So when you guys see <laughs> that, how do you approach that with the, with the client?
0: It's so usually on my discovery calls, me personally, I I try to let the client do as much talking, or the prospective client do as much talking as possible. You know, I'm I'm there to listen, I'm there to understand, and ask ask follow up questions. So there's usually a lot of you know restriction going on, um, you know, which then of course then there's the opposite end of the spectrum with the binging later on, um, but those things do become apparent, and especially the terminology. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll usually interject in those conversations like. I just want to jump in there and I I want to touch on what you just talked about right there. You know, when you were labeling that food as bad or saying you were cheating or, or even just victimizing yourself and blaming yourself and just beating yourself up. So I usually try to just touch on that and try to reframe that train of thought and, and, and see, see how receptive they are to it. And, and then go from there.
2: Okay. That makes sense.
1: What about you, Ben? I would, yeah, I would just add, I think it's very tricky because your role is as a coach and not as a mental health provider or counselor. Uh, and while those roles definitely do sort of bleed into each other a little bit as a coach, you're uh, mm-hmm. having to speak about a lot of sometimes difficult conversations, having a lot of difficult conversations and helping yep. them overcome things that like everything is related. Like you can't separate somebody's mental health from the rest of their body or the rest of their life. Right. And I guess it just comes down to sorry, I lost my train of thought here. I do that all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I was I was just going to say it's hard to actually identify and diagnose somebody because that isn't my job. Right. Um, But during the call, if you are getting a lot of red flags, like like you said, Matt, where they're exhibiting a lot of behaviors and traits and signs that like are kind of indicative of disordered eating, and you're, I think you have to raise that concern and say, like, for sure. even ask them, I, I would say you should definitely ask them directly whether or not they have met with somebody or talked about somebody with this. And I've actually, what I've had people do um, in the past is I say, I would love to move forward working with you, but I, I would need you to like get some, approval from somebody or talk to somebody about this before we can move forward, because I'm honestly not comfortable with like this situation where it's at. And I'm sorry that we have to have this conversation, but that's where For sure. I'm at. And I'm not going to do that to you.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I actually am currently working with somebody where, um, before they started working with me, we both, from the client perspective, I really appreciated appreciated that the client wanted, took this initiative on their own, but they're like, okay, everything sounds great, but, um, I want to meet with my therapist first and, and talk to them about your program and and make sure that they're on board with it. And that's something that, um, I've done in the past too, is I'll either work with, you know, somebody's doctor, not necessarily for eating disorder, but, but maybe other issues and things like that. Uh-huh. But, um, just to just to get their blessing, and you know, because that's that's the highest um, praise that we can receive as coaches too, right? Like when when we when we work together with other um, health professionals and and they give us their blessing.
1: Sure.
2: Yeah, there's so. a, It's hard too, as from the client perspective, it's hard to talk about those things. You know, just to say what it's like when you live with a voice that's telling you everything is related to food.
0: Yeah. And now myself personally, I'm blessed because I do have another coach on my team who she she's more of a um, she doesn't focus on like fat loss or strength training. She does nothing with that. You know, she's she's a behavioral nutritionist. So she she focuses on the behavioral side. She's a cognitive behavioral therapist. So that's a that's a recent thing for myself because I knew that was something that I needed help with. And I'm I'm very Conscientious of trying to stay in my scope of practice, right? So, and and I've I, ha- I have declined in the past to work with people, and and I've i tried to build out that referral network too, and that was part of the reason mm-hmm. why I was so happy to connect with you, Mel. Um, granted, I haven't referred anybody to you yet, but I have that uh, you know that that capability now. So,
2: yeah, you haven't okay. referred anybody directly, but some of your followers from TikTok have come over and started following me, and have True. received have actually have received services. So. Yeah. Oh, cool! That's, that's so that's yeah. that's so awesome
0: to hear because I I know I've tagged you in, a, yeah. in some stuff. Like, go check her out. So that's 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 amazing to hear. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah,
2: yeah. awesome.
0: So then, how with with being recovered from an eating disorder, Mel? What does that look like mm-hmm. then? Like, how do you approach weight loss really? Because that goes against the grain of listening to our body and necessarily, or not necessarily li- not listening to our body, but. You can fall into bad habits, you know, with severe restriction Mm -hmm. and things like that, or even on the opposite on the spectrum, then then falling into binging again, which you have done both, Mm -hmm. correct?
2: Yes. Yeah, I've been on both ends of it. Um, So for me, I, my main focus first and foremost was just to uh, heal my relationship with food. So, you know, when you've got your stages of change, but eating disorder is a little bit different. You know, there's different stages. And in the beginning, you focus so much on just stabilizing any sort of physical health issues that needed to be addressed. So okay. think about that in terms of, of, if you're anorexia, anorexic or something like that, we've got to stabilize weight and stuff like that. In my case, um, I was morbidly obese, but I was clinically malnourished. So I had to get my labs on point. I had to, you know, be nourished first. Um, and that meant I had to eat. Um, and that was really uncomfortable for me for a while. Um, and then once, you know, you stabilize that physical health, you really got to work on the behaviors. Um, and what does that mean? And breaking up with all your food rules and everything like that. So that came for me for years before I even thought about losing weight. And that's where you get into that gray area, right? There's so much of When you have an eating disorder and you are overweight, you have to decide for yourself, is that excess weight sustainable? For me, it was not. I was in physical Mm -hmm. pain every day. Uh, My five foot three frame is not meant to carry around that much weight. My joints hurt. Everything hurt. I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. So I knew I needed to lose the weight. Um, and this is kind of where I, a lot of people don't agree with me in the eating disorder field, but if you are, uh, morbidly obese, there are health risks there. There, there just are.
0: Um, yeah, I agree.
2: There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So for me, I needed to improve my health. So I knew I was ready when I could eat all the foods, uh, without, Immediately like having some sort of panic or anxiety or, oh my God, I'm going to get fat or, uh, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not, I mean, I still in my head, an egg is 70 calories, blah, 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 because, you know, that's just how long you carry that around, but I can eat it without internal turmoil. So that's how I knew I was Mm -hmm.
0: ready. Okay. Okay. Um,
2: And I, and I knew I didn't want to get skinny. I wanted to be the best me that I could be. So I set a goal that by my 50th birthday, I would be in the best physical, mental, emotional, spiritual shape of my life. That's kind of what I went for.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And I, th- I, I like that you said you didn't want to be skinny, right? Really. I like to focus on being strong, right? Because when we focus on being strong, mm-hmm. Ben, as you you would probably agree, strong is, I mean, strong, sexy, strong is the new skinny, strong is healthy, right? I am mean, a strong body is a healthy body.
2: Yes. I want to opinion. be strong because I want to beat everybody at everything. Um, so <laughs> that's why I want to be strong
0: mm-hmm. you think you can put that
2: well watch this that's why I want to be strong and
0: yeah. you and you do you still do CrossFit Mel and how does that work for you Ben as a, as a strength coach then incorporating that or is she uh, or have you kind of gotten her away from that
2: I still so, CrossFit I did it last night we fight um, about
1: it he was like "You Mel- gotta,
2: you gotta give up one and I was like no
1: Mel likes to do everything all the way um, uh-huh. something we've tried to work on is finding a little bit more of a moderate, like, uh, there is an in between it's not all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have no issue yep. if somebody wants to train multiple, I guess, mo- modalities. So somebody wants to exercise, but what was happening was she was training a, a lot, um, like probably more than not more than like an elite athlete, but definitely more than a normal person could handle, especially combined with, uh, you were have like, she was having issues eating enough food. And yeah. that was something mm. that was concerning. So getting her to pull back from CrossFit from how many, how many workouts were you doing per week with CrossFit when, when we first started? Uh, five. You were, oh, yeah, wow. you were training like five times a week doing CrossFit. And my issue with CrossFit is that there's not a lot of I guess, auto-regulation and there's a lot of competition. So there's a lot of pressure to max out and like train like all the way every time, which is good for some people, except when you combine that with like a progressive resistance training program, you start to see some interference and uh, I guess getting somebody to pull back and also... You have to recognize, like, we're if we're framing this in the context of recovering from an eating disorder, you ha- right. You have to watch out for those behaviors where it could be considered, uh, I guess, using exercise as a form of uh, punishment, or even like using it for the wrong reasons, like mm-hmm. to try and work off a certain amount of food, which didn't seem to be a problem. I think the problem was more like she said she wanted to be the best and she wanted to do it all, uh, but just getting her to pull back, I think, was really important for long-term progress and sustainability and making sure that we're like having her eat an appropriate amount and not overwork herself to, mm-hmm. I guess, achieve these results sustainably.
2: Yeah. yeah I'm glad eating, you brought that up too. The Go eating ahead. part was, so I went into it telling Ben, I'm I'm not restricting. I eat whenever I'm hungry and it's not that I was restricting. It's the foods that I was choosing. Like I am a veggie girl, hardcore. That's what I, I love. Vegetables. And okay. that's, that's my go-to. Um, and well, that doesn't always give you that lasting energy that you need when you're doing everything. And then some,
0: when you're doing um, all that work. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. So that was, so then I was like, I'm not going to do nutrition with you at all. And then we ended up doing nutrition and it was like, oh, okay. I'm not under eating. I just, that relationship with food. What, what do we need to do differently?
0: So then that, that's I didn't, the-
2: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have enough energy. Yeah.
0: Right. So then you're, you're eating to fuel your body, right? To, and to nourish your body, to give it so you can recover properly and so that you can build that muscle mm-hmm. that you're looking for and get stronger, which then that you have to be intentional with that in a way, especially with as much work as you were doing.
2: Yes. Um, and that took it to having been recovered. I was like, I'm purposely going to go into something where I'm going to look at my food where I have been a mindful eater for the past whatever. And that hasn't been something that I've done. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really purposely looked at food. Uh, and so that was different.
0: Yeah. And Ben, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up to the the potential for the, the, the obsessive side to come out because that's, that's obviously you were looking out for that and that's a, that's a huge red flag for us to look for. Um, but the competitive side, I think most people have a competitive nature and that's probably what draw, drew you to CrossFit then as well. Right, Mel? Um, because it is kind, very kind competitive. Of, it's a sport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: I was working with a different personal trainer who happened to be a CrossFit coach, and I walked into the CrossFit gym one day and I saw a body that looked like mine, and we're still friends to this day. We lift. We went girls' night last night. Those two girls, they're so strong. And I was like, if she can do it, of- I can do it better. um and i I didn't even know her and i walked up to her and introduced myself and i said when are you coming to class next um and she's like i'll be here tomorrow and i was like it's on um and then we've been yeah we've been tight ever since then uh but crossfit in itself or fitness in itself is for me isn't my number one coping skill but Again, I, I have an insane amount uh, amount of energy. I'm, I'm a fucking border collie, so I gotta do something. So that is what helps. Um, so when I had to scale it back, I was, I got, I got, I had a little fit about it, and then I pulled it together. Sure.
0: So when when you guys pulled it back a little bit, did you then pull pull back the CrossFit and then increase your guys's uh, strength training that you were doing together, or? Or did you just <laughs> no. find that happy medium where you just pulled it back and, and then maintained what you guys were already doing with your strength training?
2: So I'm not sure what it was like on Benzen, but this end, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do CrossFit five times a week. So this is what I'm going to do instead. And I texted him. I was like, I'm going to put all your workouts together. And he was like, it's not supposed to be that
0: way. <laughs> oh no. So I you were still trying to get that the circuit or something, right? You were trying right. to keep that like, intensity up? Or?
2: Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to lump him. He's like, no, it's programmed for a reason. And I was like,
0: oh. right. So that's a so, great yeah. point, then too. Yeah. Coaches and like Ben, especially. I mean, I, I know Ben. You, you're really good with your programming and strength training. So, what what was your challenge there then? With how do you how do you put your foot down and say, "No, this is what we need to do." You need to f- trust the process. Trust me as your coach because that's why you hired
1: me, right? Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point, and like you said, that you're. Mel obviously sought me out and hired me for a reason. So I kind of, when people come to me, they have a buy-in. Meaning like what I say has holds weight more than like the average person or a random trainer. So yeah. at a certain point, I knew I had to meet her where she's at. So we're not just going to, I'm not just going to have somebody like do it 100% my way or like train the way I like to train. So I try and mm-hmm. keep it like... I guess, gradually, we're going to say, try and find some happy medium where we're going to pull back the conditioning so that you're not doing it like directly before a workout, or we're not doing like really high intensity, new movements uh, that are going to cause a bunch of muscle damage, and you're not really going to recover from. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I tried to just emphasize the point that the strength training like she wanted to combine all the workouts like the strength training is organized in a way that you're going to receive some sort of stress and then in between that stress you're going to your body is going to recover and you're going to adapt to that stress mm-hmm. and i don't think i explained it this explicitly but if you're doing so much stuff in between you're going to impair your your recovery especially mm-hmm. combined with like not eating enough calories or not eating enough protein right so my job is to meet her where she's at and then she has some sort of buy-in. So I kind of basically just said like the strength training is programmed in such a way that I like, we you're not going to be able to get the best out of it. If you continue as you're going, like you're going to interfere with your progress. So if you really want to, I think I asked you like what your priorities were. Um, like I tried to get her to say like what she really wanted out of the program was to, uh, like increase her, her numbers, like get stronger in the squat and deadlift and I guess improve her body composition. And those come from consistency and progression. And with the CrossFit workouts, there was a bit of randomness. So I really tried to like emphasize the point that what I'm doing here, like what, what CrossFit is doing can definitely complement and exist. And you can still do that but we need to like shift that focus to the strength training if you want to get the most out of it. And that was kind of my approach, but I'm curious if it was received that way to you, Mel.
2: Yeah. It was definitely received as like, listen, do it this way or you're going to fuck it up. Short version (laughs) Um, (laughs) is how I took it. And I was like, okay. And I think that is what's needed. So as again, somebody on this side who lit, who does have an eating disorder, we constantly, there's this constant voice in your head that's always telling you, do it, do it this way, do it that way, because the end goal is what? So maybe somebody's end goal is to be skinny. So they're always fighting against that voice. So when you're working with a disordered eating client, that knowledge is huge to say You know, when when you say something like trust the process, fuck your process. I don't know what your process is because I'm trying to deal with my own process. So if Mm -hmm. a coach says that to me, I fired coaches over that. That doesn't work, right? When you have a negative audience constantly. So share that. Like this is how it works because knowledge is power, right? The more knowledge that that individual has over how their body is working, that takes some of the stress away from constantly arguing with themselves in their head. Because that's what it's been, like. There's an always an argument in there.
0: I've been guilty of saying trust the process in the past. Full disclosure, <laughs> I, 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 that's something I've learned from though. You know, too, and I don't I don't say it anymore because, yes, your my client, our clients don't know what we, what the hell we mean by that. You know, they're learning the process, so, so they can't maybe see the bigger picture. So we need to, like Ben said, right. meet them where they're at and, and help them see the bigger picture. And maybe that's maybe that's if we have a cl- a client that's really resistant at first, stuck in their ways. Well, let's do it your way for a little bit. And then, and then we we won't necessarily say this, but then when that way doesn't work, then we'll try this way and ease into it. Maybe, maybe make that gradual transition. And that's kind of sounds like maybe something that you guys did, whether you you guys realize it or not.
2: Your resistance is two things. It's control and it's fear. Right. And if you really strip Mm -hmm. away the control, what are you left with the fear, the fear of staying the same, the fear of being overweight, the fear of whatever, that's the resistance, the pushback. So you want to get your client into that change talk. Right. So they're starting to talk like, why am I going, you know, pull out the motivational interviewing? What's my goal here? Um, Yeah.
0: I'm glad you mentioned motivational interviewing because that sounds like what, what Ben did with you when he was, when he was asking you those questions. And so that's, that's the making of a good coach right there.
1: Absolutely. I think I asked you directly as I asked Mel directly, like what resources she had for me on behavior change and motivational interviewing. Cause that's a skill I'm mm-hmm. trying to get better at.
2: I think I've every coach needs to take a motor actually. Yeah. Yeah. You guys can go online just like any of us counselors or our clinicians can and take the CEUs for motivational interviewing if you need it when you work with people.
0: I agree. Yeah. That's, that's, so I've been looking into like my next certification that I want to get or my, my next course that I want to take. And I'm, I'm almost 100 percent positive that it's going to be like a motivational interviewing course rather than just reading the book, you know, because um, I know a couple of other coaches that have gone that route. And it's really rewarded them uh, with their relationships with their clients.
2: Yeah, it does make a difference. So, but yeah, so no more trust the process.
0: (laughs) No, more. I I promise I won't say it anymore. (laughs) Um, But like Ben said at the beginning, this is even more so this really working remotely, working online. We're not there with our clients face to face. So we really need that open dialogue, that open line of communication and trust. So we need to build up that rapport um, and be brutally honest with each other as well, I think.
2: And when you're working with clients too, everybody, you know, you guys are are weight loss, strength loss, strength coaches.
0: Strength loss?
2: (laughs) Sorry, strength coaches, weight loss, strength coaches. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you have conversations with your clients when when you ask them, like, how do you measure progress? Right? So Ben said to me, I want, he said, progress is like weigh in. I was like, fuck your scale, I'm not weighing in. Um, So, like, how do you measure progress? Right? That needs to be Mm -hmm. unique to the client.
0: It does. So there are so many ways that we can measure progress. And yes, it is a scale weight for some people, but not for everybody, especially with people that have suffered from an eating disorder. I I would not, I would not be, that's not something I would be comfortable with is using the scale probably at all with somebody with an eating disorder. I have a lot of bad habits Bad disordered eating habits that we try to work through. Where I have clients that I've worked with for about a year now, we haven't even done a, a single a weigh-in because I we were kind of aware of that. So what do we do then? Well, we we look at first of, first and foremost, in my opinion, those strength gains. So are we making progress over time? Are we progressively overloading? Um, but then also, I I'm a huge advocate for taking body measurements with with a tape. Um, but also, you know, what how are your we're energy? It's very triggering.
2: Right? So tape. So, body measurements are incredibly triggering uh, for someone uh, with disordered eating. So, that's something too to tread lightly. So, maybe okay. we don't use it. Maybe we don't use a tape measure, but how are your clothes fitting?
0: Okay. Right? And that is that's, one. Yeah. Clothes the tape fitting measure. for sure is one that we use. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I'm not i saying, I learn from you all yeah. the time, Mel. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, like, how are your clothes fitting? Um, and people, when they think of clothes, like, if somebody says to you, like, you know, my shoes fit differently. That is a huge sign of, of weight loss because your feet actually get smaller. I'm um, having lost over 150 pounds, all sorts of shit mm-hmm. gets smaller. Um, mm-hmm. But I was going to say like when Ben brought up the scale, it wasn't so much of like, this is like, you know, this is how we're going to do it. Um, when you're building muscle, is that like, what's different then? Like, so as coaches, do you have somebody who's solely focused on muscle? Are you tracking measurements differently than you have somebody who is strictly wanting to lose fat, but they both have disordered eating? What does that look like? You know, how do you know what to pick for progress?
0: You, you, it's a, it's a throat, let's trial and error, really. I think, and, and having that communication, like, like, look, like we keep, keep going back to, um, because that isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Nothing in what we do is one-size-fits-all. And if that's if that's your model, um, you're probably in the wrong profession. Um, you know, everything needs to be yeah. tailored to each individual. Um, you know, nothing nothing is one-size-fits-all. What are your thoughts, Ben? So,
2: how do you how do you handle that? So, if you have a client that comes to you. Um, you know, and is not, is not giving you measurements or is not giving you progress. They're just kind of beating around the bush about that as coaches. Is that like a clue to you that something's off?
0: It Well, it's, it's yes and no. Um, if, and that's another thing too, I don't use measurements with everybody either. So I, I would prefer to do that, but, um, not everybody does. And if there, if there's a reason, if they're not doing it, even though that we've agreed that that's the best way to do it or what works for them. Then it's like, okay, well, what's really going on here? Like, um, I've had clients in the past where, you know, coming, I've had a client, for instance, that came off of Weight Watchers. They they were on Weight Watchers for Uh. years, and they weren't tracking or doing their measurements like they were supposed to be one day of the week. Or I can't remember exactly what the the scenario was, but after after doing some some conversations with them, having a call with them, it was discovered that. That one day of the week was when they had their cheat day with Weight Watchers, and that's why this Wednesday—it was—I think it was a Wednesday—that this was happening. That's when everything would kind of unravel for them. Yeah. So then we, so then that, so then what we did is we, we completely threw tracking and the measurements out the window at that point because then we're like, okay, this is actually a bigger problem. We need to get be, we need to get behind this and 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 fix that problem right there. Okay,
2: that makes sense. I hate cheat days. They're not. They don't
0: <laughs> same. They, yeah.
2: don't, they don't do anything other than reinforce. You just put food on a pedestal, right? You can yep. have I I think I did a TikTok about this the other day. You can have your weekend foods any day of the week. Why are you gonna save it for the weekend? Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I had pizza not Wednesday night. It's nothing you know, special. So. Yeah. Right. And I actually had a comment earlier on one of my TikTok posts. Um they were saying like, I wanna eat porridge for dinner or something. I'm like fucking yeah. eat porridge for dinner then i'm like your body doesn't know when what breakfast food is right like if you ate pizza for breakfast for instance your body wouldn't know that oh my god this is breakfast food, or this is dinner food i can't eat this right now and like behave differently because of it you know that's it's all up here
1: yeah, yeah so i just want to weigh in on the the measurements and progress and sure. <clears throat> where so where my head is at is those are all tools. uh, And I make it very clear. And I've actually been working on like an FAQ thing that kind of summarizes all this uh, for my clients, because when it comes to progress measurement, it really depends on the individual. And so for most people, I like to look at weight, waist circumference and progress pictures, all three of which are terrible tools for people who are struggling with eating disorders, because a lot of body image issues and disordered eating behaviors um, kind of center around those things and their relationship yeah. with those things. So I'm, I'm also very transparent and clear that these are just tools. And if you're not comfortable doing that or you think it's going to be an issue, then we're going to find something else and focus on something entirely subjective. Like I think something I've adapted is how your clothes fit, if you're feeling stronger, if you're feeling mm-hmm. more confident, if you're feeling more physically fit. Like these are things I like to focus on and get people to like really... Reap and enjoy the physical benefits and rewards of training to get like to increase their buy-in and adherence to the physical, like the physical aspect of the training program. And we don't necessarily have to do that. The reason I like these measurements is more for like making sure somebody is actually headed in the right direction, uh, mm-hmm. like physically. So if somebody is gaining weight, like Mel was saying, how do you differentiate between somebody whose goal is weight loss versus strength gain? Uh, the reason I use waist circumference is because it's a sensitive tool to uh, like fat gain in the sense that that's like when you store abdominal fat, like visceral fat, the, mm-hmm. the stuff that's yeah. re- reeks metabolic, uh, cardiometabolic harm, um, that's a sensitive tool that we use. And if your, trend, if your weight is going up, but your waist is staying relatively the same, that tells me you're probably gaining muscle. If your waist is going down and your weight is staying relatively the same, that tells me you're probably losing fat. So these are all just tools. And I think focusing on the subjective for like to get people to recognize positive things that are happening and shift their, like the importance away from these objective tools and shift their, like their measurement of how I guess their self-worth away Mm -hmm. from those tools. uh, The sooner we can get people to do that and see these objectively uh, the better. Yeah.
2: It also pulls the attention away from the food. So when you have disordered eating so much is about food. So if there's just a tiny area of your life where you're not fucking thinking about food, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And our job as coaches is to set our clients up for success after they're done working with us too. So it's giving them that tool belt. Mm -hmm. So like Ben mentioned, those are just tools. So knowing which tool to use, when and or which tool to not use that's that's the important key, uh, key too so yeah um yeah. great great points and that's what happened um, to me
2: wait the weight my weight went up but I, my pants size kept going down
0: winning
1: <laughs>
2: yeah definitely winning yeah. and it's again um went down again so another pant size just in, within the last uh four weeks so just from like, continuing to lift
0: when i when i look back at my client notes. For, for each individual client, usually you know I do a check in call once a week with them, and I look back at our notes before the call, and it's most of the notes are typically highlighting their how are the, how are they feeling, you know, are they are they feeling stronger, are they sleeping better. Um, how is there, you know, hi- hydration? I like to, I like to focus on hydration too, uh. because a lot of, a lot of people don't drink enough water or eat enough water even for that fact. But, um, but my notes are heavily centered on that, you know, the weight loss or the weight, the scale weight and the measurements. That's, that's not part of my notes that I take. That's just already, if, if we're tracking that that's already there, but my personal notes that I take from our calls, you know, cause I like to capture those moments, especially when, in those check in calls when a client may be feeling kind of down about themselves or maybe they don't feel like they're making progress, but they just don't realize that they're making progress. Right. Because so then it's Uh our job as coaches like to listen and to catch on to those things that they're saying, like, okay, I want to backtrack there and and talk about what you just said, because you're making great progress there. So let's focus on that. Let's take that and run with it. No matter. It could be, it's different for everybody. Of course, you know, it could be, Oh my God, I went on a hike this weekend and I wasn't out of breath or I, I, I did the entire time without stopping, you know, and those are those, Mm -hmm. those non-scale victories, right. And those non-measurement victories that we can focus on.
2: So I have a question. Oh, sorry. mm -hmm.
0: I was just gonna so say like activity co- and movement is is different for everybody. There's so many ways to get it in, but go ahead, Mel.
2: Yeah. No, something just popped into my head. So, because we were talking about losing weight. So, when you have, mm-hmm. have clients who have disordered eating um and they're chronic dieters, right? How do you help them shift that mindset from dieting is not the same as a sustainable calorie deficit? One question. Second question, as coaches, are you in tune to the ways that chronic dieters silence their hunger? It's called hunger silence. We're very good at it. Of drowning out hunger.
0: That's those are great questions. The first the first part. So the first the first question was: how do you transition them or get get them to reframe yeah. their thinking? Yep. Reframe from-
2: that thinking from diet is not equivalent to sustainable calorie deficit. They are entirely different. Um
0: yeah, I like to, I like to frame it as a lifestyle change. Like we want to, we want to eat in a way that works for us for the rest of our life. And that includes like, we'll, we'll usually typically very early on, or even on that first call, identify these foods that they've demonized in the past, cut cut out of their diets, you know, and then like, like fun foods. And then like, I like to call them fun foods and I, yes, I hate labeling foods, but if we have to label it anything, i like to label it at least something positive. So let's, what what are, what are your, your foods that you've never allowed yourself to have in the past? Let's work on trying to get those. Like for instance, I've had clients that literally have never in their adult life enjoyed birthday cake. So we made that, we made that a goal to enjoy some birthday cake for their birthday. And lo and behold, we did it and they felt good about it. They felt no guilt, no guilt about it. And with this client in particular, we weren't even, they came to me for weight loss, but this is goes, goes back to very early on identify that weight loss was not the answer for them. Um, it was, it was working on those other things. So, um, that's,
2: I call them sometimes foods and everyday foods is what I call them. Sometimes foods, okay. everyday foods.
0: Okay. Yeah, I like that too. That's just what I call and then, them.
2: Yeah.
0: And this is what I love about you, Mel. like I learned so much about you, from from <laughs> you in our in our daily conversations. Um, I've, I've, I've changed my ways of thinking a lot just by just by sh- oh. chatting with you. So I thank you for that. Um, sure. So your your second question then? Uh, what was what was the second question?
2: Well, Ben, did you have anything to say about the first question?
1: Yeah, I think. It's it's tricky. I think it comes mm-hmm. down, you really have to dig into what, I guess, what their idea of dieting is. Because if you think about it, a, like a calorie deficit could be considered a diet. It's caloric right. restrictions, the, the physiological mechanism for weight loss. So if somebody's understanding of chronic dieting, or what they think they have to do is eat really low calories. That's different than somebody who thinks they have to avoid certain foods or only eat clean, or I guess, what, whatever diet fad that they've they've tried and attempted mm-hmm. and hasn't worked. Like uh, Like Matt said, it's all about approaching and addressing lifestyle factors and encouraging them to, I guess, change their food environment so that they can succeed in a way that doesn't make it feel restrictive, or I guess it doesn't make it feel like a diet that they have to like stick to, like you want to decrease the what what some people call, uh, I guess, in the the barbell medicine sphere is the only people I've heard call it is dietary RPE. So like the rate of perceived exertion of the diet, you want to decrease that. So if somebody is chronically dieting, and not having not like succeeding in their goals, they either have unrealistic goals, or they have an unrealistic diet. So or both our goal, or both. Yeah. So our goal is to educate them on like, what makes assist, but what makes sustainable eating habits and help them find a way to achieve that based on their lifestyle. And then also educate them on what would be a reasonable and sustainable goal to achieve. So it's not realistic to be in a deficit for a super long time, or it's not realistic to eat super low calories and expect to like feel like expect to just be healthy doing that. So just reframing, reframing the way they approach dieting. And then I guess educating on ways that we can modify their lifestyle to make it fit their goals Mm -hmm. and help them reframe those goals. Absolutely. So I,
2: I would have to disagree that a calorie deficit is not dieting um, because in dieting is restricting food intake, delaying eating and avoiding certain kinds of foods. Okay. That's dieting calorie deficit. All foods fit in the right amount for you. My calorie deficit is going to be different than somebody else's. That's how I s- pulled apart in my head. So it makes sense uh, for me with my relationship with food.
0: Okay. okay and, and that's, that's one of those, nuanced subjects i think because some people will say it is a diet it's my personal belief that it's not but because we're not practicing restriction or anything like that the only thing we're restricting is calories slightly typically right but um i i can see the argument for both sides you know um i don't know what's right or wrong i think it's you know i don't i, I don't want it to be a hill that i die on though either so right
2: no <laughs> yeah it's just for disorder for me as a disordered eater it pulls it apart um, because dieting Mm -hmm. is I am going to eliminate certain foods. I'm going to delay eating. um, I'm going to restrict food intake. I'm not going to do that in a calorie deficit. Um, I'm going to eat everything. And if I'm hungry and I don't have calories, guess what? I'm going to eat um, because your appetite fluctuates from day to day. That's just how I look at it. Uh, My second question was, um, are you guys nuanced on all the ways that dieters silence our hunger. We do it lots of different ways. And if you notice that do you talk to them, right? So um coffee is a main one, carbonated beverages, bulk eating. Um, those are tons of ways that we as dieters will condition ourselves to not be hungry. For sure. Right? Yeah. And when you do that so often, you actually you don't have hunger cues anymore. So it's called hunger silence. Your body stops producing them because it keeps knocking and nobody answers the fucking door. So it doesn't make yeah. them anymore. So like, how do you approach that? Do you educate them on reverse dieting? We mm-hmm. got to eat more in order to then lose. Like, what's that process like?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at this one. So, um, and I love that you mentioned reverse dieting, but and going back to what you said about when when clients like tell me they're not hungry or something like that, I'm like, "Are you actually not hungry, or or have you just completely learned to ignore your hunger cues?" Right? Um, for instance, like you said with coffee, um, most people as as I'm drinking me, a coffee, as you drink an iced coffee, <laughs> um, most people come to me and they're not eating breakfast. Uh, they're drinking coffee, you know, for breakfast. And um, some days I do that, but that's because you know I I, I know my body my body's hunger cues. But um, the, I'm like why are you drinking coffee for breakfast and jo- only coffee, you know, cause then, th- cause then what's going on is later in the day. Right. Then they're, they're not getting those calories mm-hmm. early, earlier in the day. So then they're binging at night. So then we, I'm like, so I'm, I'm, I'm helping them make that connection. So, um, try to, try to get them to start working on maybe, maybe they substitute a protein shake instead for in the morning because they're not, they're still just not physically hungry or they don't know recognize that they're physically hungry, but then they start introducing some calories in the morning. They're like, Oh my God, I feel so much better. I'm like, You know, like, yes, this is exactly what we're going for. And then we have where people have been chronically under eating for so long. And the idea, like, and I'll tell them straight up before we even becoming, become a client, like we, we're going to focus on getting more calories right away. Like you need to eat more and that scares the shit out of people, right? Like you want me to eat more? You really want me to eat more? I've been eating 1200, 1300, 1400 calories my entire adult life. I'm like, yeah. And how has that worked out for you? Right. Um, we're here. You came to me because you're fed up. You, you've tried uh, you've tried everything in quotations. Um, and you came to me for a reason because, you know, I'm, I'm a no bullshitter and I'll tell you how it is. And this is what we need to do. It might not be what you want, but it, it's what you, what, what you need. Um, so then maneuvering them and, and teaching them how to, you know, do the reverse diets and, and get more food into their diet and, or more calories into their diet. Um, it's it's a sticky situation and at least just some frustrations as well so it's got to be very um conscientious of that as as well from the, from the client perspective when when they're feeling those things
2: yeah it's very scary to be asked to eat more food cuz food is the it enemy is.
0: <laughs> right so so we've been taught yeah
2: yeah for so many uh so getting to mm-hmm. that point to where helping your clients be able to neutralize food is huge uh huh that you can look at an apple and then you can look at a Snickers bar and not feel pulled in any way morally and just be able to decide, well, what is my goal with eating here? Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. What is, what's uh, your take on that one, Ben? That, that one's, that's
1: a very really good question, Mel. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of the, a lot of the strategies for hunger silencing are the same, if not, yeah, Probably the exact same for tips people give to lose weight, which makes it very tricky to navigate because you have all these influencers giving these quote unquote tricks like drink a bunch of water before your meal or like drink a bunch of caffeine or eat lots of high volume foods. Uh, Like these are all things that could like when abused, they would be hunger silencing. Mm -hmm. So it is tricky because you can only like Mel was saying, you can only trick your body for so long. Like um your body, like you will get some sort of signaling in your in your in your stomach when you get the like gastric expansion, except you're not actually getting calories from those foods. So you might run into issues where people are starting to just feel like crap. Or this and this is very not sustainable and it can be dangerous and unhealthy in the long term. So I guess it's, it's tricky to differentiate between when somebody is like abusing this versus just using it as a tool to help manage hunger, because to help manage hunger, you do want to eat, like you want to eat more fruits and vegetables and legumes and foods that are higher in fiber and lower in calorie density. But at the same time, you don't want somebody only eating those foods and avoiding anything that they consider like. A higher calorie food because they're scared that it's it's not going to fill them up in a way that like it's just going to not have a great effect on their hunger and they're going to want to keep eating and who knows it's a it's a very slippery slope yeah so for i sure. try and get yeah basically i try and like pull pick apart whether or not they're abusing it or just using it as a tool to like increase their satiety. And I don't think there is a hard line. Like I don't have any strong feelings about a way to differentiate between the two apart from, I guess what their history is. Like if this is somebody who's coming to me with a history of disordered eating and they've told me that they have like, they've expressed that in the past they have like coped used food as a coping mechanism or they have suppressed their hunger intentionally that is something that in that case, I'm going to be watching out for these things mm-hmm. and okay. tr- and maybe having a conversation or asking them some questions, whether they think like this is like whether they think this is concerning behavior or whether I should be concerned and getting them to like kind of, I guess, just expand a little bit on what they think is going on and reflect on, I guess, reflect on what behaviors might potentially be a trigger or not trigger. what. Behaviors might be a red flag, or what we should be concerned about, and how we might any ideas how they might like want to change this moving forward. So that's the way I see it.
0: Yeah, it goes back to not being a one size fits all. and Everybody's different, and you just need to be aware and and, and listen, and just and just um, make changes as needed. And and going back to what you said as well, I, I just thought of this, Ben. What do you come across a situation where people might be eating? Too clean, you know. Where, where and then you they're maybe unconsciously restricting because that's what what they've been used to. And I and I do come across this, you know. Um, overall calories might be really low, and I, when I look at like a food log or something, I'm 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 seeing just like salads and and veggies and, and veggies veggies veggies, and then I'm like, okay, well, what's going on here? Like, and, we, and when when we start talking to them, it's like, why, like. I I encourage you to eat those fun foods. Right. So Mm -hmm. is it that you don't want to eat those or are you just telling yourself that you can't? So then it's like, okay, well, let's look at getting some of those higher density, higher
1: calorie density foods. And then how can we accomplish that? So, so in these cases, I generally don't not. So this is a really tricky conversation because Mm -hmm. you never want to come at somebody and say, I don't think you're being entirely honest or accurate with your tracking. But Mm -hmm. when somebody is reporting very low calories, I generally want to dive in and see if they're actually logging everything or because more often than not, people will actually not log something because they feel guilty about it. Um, And if they have a lot of guilt and maybe they don't want to like, they feel this is why it's important to have a really open and like supportive and collaborative relationship. Cause I want somebody to be able to come to me and say like, I feel like I messed up by eating this. And then I can reassure them that no, this is not going to affect your progress rather than having them be like, Oh shit. I, I ate this food coach is going to be mad. So, or I'm just not going to log it. And I think this also comes down to like their, their previous history of, I guess unhealthy or disordered eating behaviors or past experiences or just what they think is like the correct thing to do in this situation. So I want to always dive a little bit deeper and just get them to reflect on whether there's something they, like if they're logging everything and if they are logging everything, then I think maybe a food diary is not the right approach. Maybe we want to focus more on, uh, more subjective things and improving, like increasing mindful eating behaviors or something like that. I know the flip side of that
2: that too. On the flip side, when you are working with a client who has disordered eating, particularly the restrictive type, you're Mm -hmm. going to see a log that says bagel, and I'm outing myself here, one whole bagel, um, when in reality, it's probably a couple bites the brain says, I just ate a bagel for breakfast, but when you are a restrictor, it's not an actual bagel. So early on in my recovery, when I was doing the food logs and working with the nutritionist and was not seeing any improvements in my physical health, I was still exhausted. I was still losing hair. I was having headaches. And she's like, "Uh, you're telling me you're eating a bagel or you're eating this, you're eating this, and you're eating this, but what's going on? um because yeah. we're not we're not seeing that in your labs and that's just how that um restrictive voice works it mm. it cuts you short so for other people they underestimate right restrictors we overestimate um so that's something to be mindful of too as coaches like if i've got a really well put together food log but i've still got somebody who is fucking exhausted what's going on here uh they're probably over reporting
0: Great point, great point, and and also Ben, you mentioned mindful eating, and I love that too because I think that should be our ultimate goal. Right, is uh-huh. that we can be m- mindful eaters? That because we don't we don't want to track, we don't want to log forever. That's not a that's not any way to live, in my opinion. Like we, yes, we, I don't track with everybody first and foremost, but if we are tracking, we're using that, like you said earlier, as a tool to help us to raise awareness, to help us understand. Um, like myself personally, you know, I used to track macros and everything and I, I don't track anymore. You know, I just listen to my body and I eat when I'm hungry, I prioritize protein and and that's it. Um, but mindful eating is key. And I, you know, I, when, when, uh, when a client expresses that they want to try that before I, before like I even approach the subject with them, I, it just makes me really happy, you know, and they're like, I, I've been reading a lot about um, you know, mindful eating or like, and a lot of people will talk about intuitive eating. And then I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I like, I love intuitive eating. I, I do. I, I really love it for repairing your relationship with food and promoting that. I'm like, but if you want to practice intuitive eating, I'm, I'm not the coach for you because that's not my wheelhouse. Right. And like, because you're here for help with weight loss or getting stronger. And that's not what we're here for, but we can borrow those principles. Those principles are fantastic. Right. Um, for, for mindful eating and everything like that.
2: Yeah, that's what I had to do. And that's what I teach is mindful eating is I had to be a mindful eater first uh, before trying to become an intuitive eater. And then as you know, as I continue on this strength journey, um, it's very counterproductive uh, with intuitive eating. So I've been able to fall back onto those mindful eating principles. And when you mindfully eat, I cannot stress this enough. Also, that's how you learn not only your hunger fullness cues, but your different types of hunger there's just not physical hunger y'all there's several different right. types of hunger. You know, there's eye hunger, there's taste hunger, there's practical hunger. So why this food? And you can't figure out why that food, unless you mindfully eat. Beautiful. Lots of different types of hunger.
0: A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what, I mean, I, I wasn't aware of what, what is I hunger
2: You see for, it for my own education
0: here? You see it and you want it. Okay. So,
2: yeah. So I, um, you, I could be full to the brim and you show me a vanilla cupcake with pink frosting and sprinkles. Okay. I want that. I want that because my eyes say that is the most beautiful thing in the world. Put it in your, put it in your face. Um, that's an eye that hunger. Sense. So nose hunger, you walk past a bakery, you smell it. You didn't want a bagel 30 seconds ago. You want it <laughs> okay. now.
0: Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And
2: then then taste hunger, like you're wanting something for a specific taste. Are you wanting salty, sweet? And then we all know what practical hunger is, right? So that's when we're not hungry, but we know we're getting ready to go into a six hour flight. So we're probably going to need to eat something.
0: Right. Yeah, Or six hour flight or going on a long hike or, or an intense workout. You need to fuel your body. You might not be hungry, but you should probably get some, like some type of a carb or something into your body. Right. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And then you got your emotional hunger, which is a lot of emotional eating. And I always stress that that's, it's okay that we emotionally eat sometimes as a coping skill because to expect people to never emotionally eat for the rest of their life, that's not going to happen. Uh, we just want to move yeah. it down the ladder a little bit.
0: Yeah. I agree. And we like to use like a a food and mood diary, for instance, when, when, when it comes to emotional eating, like, like logging our environment or who who we're with, what we're doing, what's our emotional state, what's Mm -hmm. our mental state, what are we craving and why do we think that is? And then, and then of course we eat, you know, we we allow ourselves to eat and first most importantly, but I, I, everything goes back to awareness, right? Like if we log it, we can look back at it. We have our nice little journal. And um, it helps us kind of spot things, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I get asked all the time, like, Mel, how do you know the difference between a craving, um, like a craving in terms of you're wanting to use food to escape, and a craving as in that just looks good, I want to eat it. Um, You know, and that's something I think you as coaches would be really good on helping your clients understand what that looks like for them and their body. You know, so for me, um, if I see a food and I want it because – it sounds yummy. That's just a craving in general. But if I want a specific food to alleviate something,
0: uh-huh.
2: I'm turning to food to cope, right? So if I'm driving down the road and I see Starbucks and I think, oh, cake pops, those are yummy. I'm going to get one. Or I'm mad at my husband, that dick, and I'm driving down the road to cake pops. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely different. Yeah.
0: Sure. Sure.
2: But a lot of people don't know that. So maybe that's stuff you guys talk about. Like, yeah, why, why are you choosing that food?
0: Yeah, you know? a- absolutely. Yeah, Un- understanding. Understanding is, is is key.
2: Yeah, is it your favorite food or your favorite escape?
0: Mm-hmm. Ben, ben do you use like exercise or movement as a way for, for us to have a, a healthy outlet then too to kind of deal with our, our emotions and our stresses and things like that?
1: Um. Honestly, no. I I try and differentiate. So a lot of people, I'll ask about what their their coping skills are like. And what I'm getting at is, do they have the ability to sit with their emotions and I guess respond to them in a healthy way? While exercise can certainly help with regulating emotions and make you feel better, I do not like to use exercise as a coping skill, because I I think that is not, at least my understanding, and Mel can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that is a valid way to cope with your stress or anxiety. I think that's something that can help, and it can certainly contribute to feeling better, but I don't want people to rely on it, because A, it sets an expectation that this is going to make you feel better, and it might not every time. You might go Mm -hmm. to the gym and you won't feel less stressed and that 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 stress is still going to be there and then what's going to happen like what do you do after that uh the other reason is i want them to associate i want them to have a more positive association with exercise where they're they're focused on i guess improvement in the gym and the process rather than using it as an outlet uh what do you think about that Mel?
2: Yeah, so I take the stance as movement is going to be a coping skill. So I hear what you're saying, Ben. So when we want to incorporate exercise, that is more of just part of our day-to-day routine, right? That's our structure, our um, schedules, whatever. I teach, um, and I believe this for myself personally, that movement. So when you think of when you're emotionally distraught or something like that, being able to sit in your emotions and not react to it is a skill. And you have to build on that skill. And a lot of us don't have that skill. So I teach people in my practice how to use the DBT skills to process that emotion. So the tip skill, for example, which is the temperature of your face, intense physical activity, paired breathing, and paired muscle relaxation. So when I'm pissed off, I'm not going to go to the gym and lift weights because that's going to be counterproductive, right? I'm not going to be able to follow my protocol, my plan, whatever. But I sure as hell can clean the shit out of my house. That's movement.
0: Okay. (laughs) I can mow my yard.
2: I've mowed down entire rose bushes when I've been pissed. Um, That's movement. So there is a connection between increasing your heart rate and lowering your emotional distress. Um, So that's so yeah. I
0: agree. And I see I see movement as like a proactive approach, right? Like uh-huh. um, and not necessarily as a coping mechanism, but but the more we like you, you both kind of said, as the more the more we move, our mental state usually improves. And, and we're generally, you know, it, it helps us release stress and makes us happier. So and I love and I, I love that we're talking about movement here rather than working out yeah. or exercise. I love that we've got it framed in that way, because that's really, in my opinion, a very healthy way of of, of approaching it.
2: Right. So you want that mood booster as part of your daily routine, if at all possible, not your go-to when you are so emotionally distraught. That's going to be a different skill set. So
0: Okay. Great points there from both of you. All right. Um, I can't believe we've been at this for an hour already. Holy crap. That's
2: because we're (laughs) awesome.
0: Right? I don't know. I, I Like I said already, I've I already learned from both of you guys here. I, I know our listeners are going to learn a lot from yeah. this as well, so I'm really appreciating this. Um, Mel, was there anything else that you think is is important for us to touch on here? Um, I, don't I know. think
2: I'm, I could talk about this stuff all day, I don't care, whatever Yeah.
0: You I, I think we, I want to also just put out there for our, our listeners here that it's, it's a very fine line. It's very nuanced. As we've said many times, everything here that we've talked about is nuanced. Um, but also like if somebody out there is, is what, what is our best resource Mel, for somebody if they're struggling with like an actual, e- an undiagnosed eating disorder or, or maybe they're struggling with it and they're, they're aware of it and they're in recovery, but they just need a resource. Like what, where could we point yeah. them? Cause I think that's important to put out there as well, since we're talking about this.
2: Absolutely. So my favorite go-to is NEDA, which is the NEDA website. So many resources on there. It's on my TikTok. It's actually, uh, I do fundraisers for that. So there's a lot of resources there. You can learn all about eating disorders the different types. Uh, You can get connected to providers in your area. You can research latest statistics, uh, everything that is about it. Um, It's a a great nonprofit uh, organization.
0: Okay. So I would say go there. And can people reach out to you if they're struggling with anything? Is that something that you do oh, like absolutely. consults or just, just for somebody to chat with? or?
2: Yeah, um, I keep my DMs open. I think it's pronounced Neda. Now they think, I'm not sure. It's N-E-D-A. I don't know. Some people say Nita, Some people say Neda. Anyway, my Got DMs it. are always open. Um, people message me constantly. So I will always be willing to that. help. I will not. I do not give um, therapy through text messages, sure. but I can absolutely. Absolutely. Point you yeah. to the right direction. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Perfect. And where can uh, people find you at Mel? Your uh, your socials on, or website?
2: Yeah, just on TikTok, which is Cup of Mel on TikTok.
0: And you have a website, don't mate. you?
2: I do, which is a cup of Mel.com.
0: A cup of Mel. We had this conversation last time, so. Yes. All right. I couldn't,
2: I couldn't, I couldn't get the A on TikTok. Somebody else stole it. Bastards. Yeah. I
0: know. <laughs> Jerks. Uh, and, and, Ben, what about yourself? Like, if people wanted to reach out for you, they, they like what you're all about, they want to talk to you more about coaching or strength training or whatever.
1: For sure. Definitely. I'm always down to talk about strength training. Um, I would recommend you check out my all my social media is Bingless, my first name, my first letter of my first name, and then my last name, um, underscore trains. It's just like, you know, working out. Um, I'm most. I guess my largest platform is TikTok, but definitely head over to Instagram because I have I like to put more nuance into those into that content because I can, and also I captions and and get a lot more caption length. And then I also like to have people ask questions. I put up a few Q and A's each week, so if you want to ask me a question, that is definitely the best place to do it. I agree. And
0: and guys for for anybody that's listening, um Ben is like one of the best no bullshit coaches out there. I love I love the content that you put out there just constantly f- fighting against misinformation. So um uh, thank for you. sure, for sure. Absolutely. Right back at you. appreciate it, man. Um well, both of you I appreciate both of your guys' time today. It's been it's been fantastic. Um really really got a lot out of it.
2: Yay. Go team.
0: <laughs> go team go. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll talk soon then.